At the end of episode two, Lord Corlys, the sea snake, says he will not sit by while King Viserys hosts feasts, balls, and hunts. Episode three, second of his name, is a veritable feast of fantastic dialogue. We had a ball watching it and hunting for small details afterwards. House of the Dragon continues to distinguish itself as distinct from Game of Thrones by focusing on a smaller cast of characters in fewer locations, allowing us to get closer to each individual and their personal struggles. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yet those locations and family names are familiar, like the music. Bow your heads and pray to our cordon savior, Raman Jawadi. With each passing episode, his catalog expands while sticking to familiar themes and instrumentations, most familiar of all being the intro song. The first run of Game of Thrones, the intro sequence changes from time to time as events unfold. As this season of House of the Dragon will cover many years in total, we will certainly be keeping our eyes on it for changes. This episode is a jump of three years, but we didn't see any changes this time. We begin with a scene of the surreal, a Valarian banner burning in the night, an ominous symbol. It's difficult to imagine a seahorse, a creature of the deep sea, aflame. It's also difficult and far less pleasant to imagine being staked to a piece of shattered ship's hull by a silent mask prince admiral covered in grayscale tossing crabs on you. It's also, also difficult, yet far more pleasant to imagine, on top of everything else, literally, a very long-necked dragon descending then spewing huge amounts of fire. The action in the Stepstones is but an appetizer, with the full feast for crabs coming at the end. The episode is a masterclass in pacing, an intensely paced battle preceded by a beautifully woven, gradually told story full of parallels, with clear attention paid to the original source material, Fire and Blood. Speaking of, the episode has quite a bit of both. Rhaenyra and Daemon each finish the episode covered in blood, both after slaying a beast, one a boar, the other a crab, one a true animal, the other a monster in human skin, very, very infected human skin. King Viserys, wearing gloves to conceal not one but two missing fingers, has no literal blood on his hands, but plenty of the metaphorical sort. And like his daughter and brother, he too slays a beast after a hunt. This royal hunt is the premise for most of the episode. It's quite a grand affair and entirely staged. The hunt itself is essentially a farce, with all the work done by others minus the killing blow, and even that was coached. The gathered lords and ladies mostly ignore Rhaenyra and celebrate her two-year-old half-brother, whom she declines to call by name, instead referring to him as Alicent Hightower's son. She is 17 and a bit petulant and closeted, but extremely perceptive and brave. She turns out to be wrong in her belief that her father intends to replace her as heir, but entirely correct that so many other of the elites want a male to inherit. Overall, the event can be seen as a meeting of the powerful, most notably houses Hightower and Lannister, both aiming to further attach themselves to the House of the Dragon. Otto's older brother, Hobart, who is lord of the Hightower and one of the most powerful men in the realm, wants to see his now two-year-old nephew Aegon become Aegon II. 
Otto wants this as well, but tells his lordly brother that the king is quite resistant to the idea. With each episode, we see new examples of the level of subtlety Otto operates with. He knows that Viserys can be convinced, but not pushed. Jason Lannister, the lord of Casterly Rock, is quite the opposite of subtle, bragging about his wealth, how his castle is the tallest, all while making assumptions in how the succession would change were Princess Rhaenyra to marry him. This would be a win for Hightower and Lannister, the latter gaining a dragon princess, the former gaining a clearer path to the throne by reducing Rhaenyra from heir to the Lady of Casterly Rock. But Lord Jason makes a poor impression on both king and princess, so their plan is foiled. There are other plan to add a superstitious element to the issue of succession is foiled as well. The Lannisters and Hightowers and even the royal huntsmen all insist that the White Hart is the king of the Kingswood, an auspicious sign for the young prince's birthday. Over and over this is repeated. Not very subtle either, is it? A very indirect, direct way to say that Aegon should inherit. Instead, the stag they find is brown, notably large but otherwise unremarkable. Paddy Considine, on the other hand, gives a remarkable performance as the king, showing an expansive variety of moods as he loses his grip on both family and realm. He's clearly uncomfortable with how the hunt plays out, yet relieved that his dreams aren't revealing the truth that he fears. He's frustrated with his daughter's obstinance, and the haunting scenes in the hall as he's drinking and alone, despite being surrounded by his court, are quite memorable as well. He perhaps shines most during the scene in front of the raging bonfire, lamenting that he killed his beloved first wife Emma in pursuit of prophecy, a power he considers greater than even that of dragons. Viserys says all this to his new queen, Alicent, who gave him the son he thought he'd never have, and is quite pregnant with another child. This at least gives him some measure of happiness. Though he has committed many errors in judgment, he is, as the queen who never was said last week, no fool and is capable of good. We see this when he swears to Rhaenyra that he won't set her aside. He goes further in telling her that he won't force her to marry a particular lord, but that she should get married. This eases the tension between them greatly, though it doesn't change the realm's seeming preference for a male heir. To address this, Viserys gives more excellent advice, reminding her that a husband doesn't have to be a burden. It could be a strength, an ally. She's doing herself no favors by pushing away potential friends. At this point, Sir Criston is perhaps one of the few. He as well helps her find some perspective, points out that she has more power than she gives herself credit for, and, oh, he also saves her life. The white heart that eluded her father appears to Rhaenyra instead, the auspices perhaps favoring her over her half-brother after all. As well as the turn of fate, she turns quite a few heads, riding back into the camp, covered in blood. A major change from earlier in the episode when she was being ignored. Speaking of allies and good advice, Lord Lionel Strong might be the only member of the small council giving that to the king. This time he repeats his earlier suggestion that House Targaryen should join with House Velaryon, but in a different manner. Instead of the king marrying the Sea Snake's daughter, the princess could marry the Sea Snake's son. And speaking of the small council, Lord Corlys's three-year absence seems to have necessitated a fill-in, and Sir Tylan Lannister, younger twin of Lord Jason, is that man. He argues that the matter in the Stepstones requires urgent attention, but like almost everyone else, he pushes the king too hard on the matter, and Viserys loses his temper briefly. Something that happens several other times in the episode. The princess as well is, as her father puts it, alone and angry. An extra layer of sadness permeates the situation. Though Rhaenyra feels her former best friend betrayed her, Queen Alicent is consistently on her side in private. Overall, her advice is no less strong than Lord Strong's. In particular, she seems to understand better than most, if not all, how to navigate the personalities of these proud men. While they continue to push each other's buttons, purposefully and through simple carelessness, Alicent knows the right words to use. We consistently see the characters in this show misjudge each other, but Alicent is an exceptional exception. She predicted that Rainier would be upset by Lord Jason, and convinces her husband, after all other attempts fail, that he should intervene in the matter of the Stepstones. 
But again, misjudging each other is a theme here. Perhaps Viserys should have found a more diplomatic way of telling his brother that he would send aid. But it all worked out. Damon had showed repeatedly that he is quite proud. Maybe we sold him short in that regard. Rather than accept his help from his brother, he makes himself bait for the crab, as Sir Lenor, son of the sea snake and rider of sea smoke, puts it. It will be victory, and victory on his terms or death. Their bold, somewhat desperate plan worked, however. In spectacular fashion, the forces of the crab feeder were lured out into the open via Damon pretending to submit. Without their caves and positional advantage, the heavier armor and weapons of the Westerosi were put to great effect. Not to mention Seasmoke's glorious strafing runs that included a few tossed fighters and a few dozen incinerated ones. Damon himself slays the crab feeder, quite literally cutting him in half. But Damon, wear some gloves if you're going to touch a grayscale corpse. And Viserys, same goes for you. This guy wears gloves almost the entire episode, yet decides to barehand some stag droppings. No wonder he's constantly getting infections. The director of the episode, Greg Yaitane, says that Damon, Rhaenyra, and Viserys all emerge from this episode with renewed purpose and greater perspective on who they are. And behind it all remains fire and blood. There are a number of notable and fun callbacks. We're reminded of early Game of Thrones when the king was killed by a boar while hunting the White Hart. A dead stag in the very first episode foreshadowed Robert Baratheon's death, while the direwolf who killed it was in turn killed by its prey with an antler to the throat. Robert refusing all help against the boar that slew him stands in stark contrast to Viserys having dozens of helpers with his stag. In turn, Rhaenyra showing mercy to the White Hart may remind us of the mercy shown to the direwolf pups, ghost most of all. Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole galloping away at full haste from the rest of the party is reminiscent of Robert racing away in the Barrowlands until only Ned is near enough to hear him. There are more nuggets like that, but this is our short synopsis, so don't go running to the master of complaints. Instead, join History of Westeros on YouTube during the season every Monday at 6 Eastern for a much more in-depth review of each episode, and every 3 p.m. on Saturday as we look ahead to the next episode while mixing in discussions from the books with guests. If you can't make the live streams, you can watch or listen to the replays anytime afterwards. They'll also be available wherever you consume podcasts. Alongside our House of the Dragon coverage, you'll find that over the last 10 years, we've created hundreds of other episodes about A Song of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood, Duncan Egg, and everything else Westeros, Essos, and beyond, past, present, and future.